For South Carolina Public Radio, I'm Scott Morton. Typically, the way that we handle hydrilla is through biological control, which is also similar with alligator weed. It's a perfect sunny day for a leisurely sail on Lake Wiley. We essentially take uh, a species that only eats that species, and that's it. Uh, Leisure, of course, case, is not why we're out here. While Brandon Jones pilots us across the water, Brett Hardis explains how to control what we're out here to see. Alligator weed, an invasive aquatic plant muscling into more and more space in the more peaceful corners of this reservoir. You guys will grab your hats, I'll kind of speed us over yeah, there to this spot. A few minutes later, we're all looking at a clutch of alligator weed as we drift through calm, shallow water. It's a beautiful plant, like most invasive aquatics, a bit like a hedge growing out of the water with tasselly white flowers. Hardis, manager of Duke Energy's aquatic plant management program in the waterways that connect North and South Carolina, explains its origins. See, alligator weed, um, again, it, it came to us actually from South America, so this is not an Asian species, it's a, a South American species, probably through ballast water. But one of the interesting things about this species in South America is it's more terrestrial. Being more terrestrial means alligator weed does have a fairly limited range wherever it's established in the water. It's not like, say, hydrilla, which can sprout pretty much anywhere the water's not too deep for it to grow from silt to surface. Alligator weed stays relatively close to land, but then places like lakes aren't as static as you'd think. Sediment changes, sediment fills in, and then it can creep a little bit more, which is always a, a concern we have in reservoirs which age over time uh, through sedimentation. So. These top areas tend to get tend to get bigger. One way to control alligator weed is with a natural predator that has only a taste for the plant itself. But of course, there are problems with that too. The alligator weed flea beetle is native to the same range. The good news is it can completely defoliate these plants. I mean, it's just a voracious eater. The bad news is in their native range, it's more tropical. So when we catch a cold winter, any population of alligator uh, weed flea beetle that we introduce can be completely wiped out, and we're back to square one again. There is, of course, more than alligator weed to worry about. Out here swimming around somewhere we can't see are sterile grass carp, a fish that would be its own invasive nightmare if it were able to breed. But these sterile fish are helping keep another invasive, hydrilla, down. Back on the open lake, Hardis explains how hydrilla can be mostly dormant for several years and why grass carp are still here after a now-conquered hydrilla bloom from a few years ago. Even after it's visibly gone, you have to maintain carp pressure on that plant for 10 years because one tuber in the whole lake may sprout seven years from now, and if there's not adequate fish in the lake to handle that, then it just recycles and starts the whole issue all over again. Of all the weapons against invasive plants on Lake Wiley, though, the most effective one is the person listening to this story. Keeping an eye out for things that just look weird and making a phone call. We need eyes of the people that live and play around the Catawba Watery to make us aware of strange things that have shown up in places. Key to that, Hardis says, is your cell phone. Take a picture, close up, not from 50 yards away, and text it to someone who needs to know before an invasive gets too far along. A list of ways to report strange and invasive plants is available along with the online version of this story at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. Reporting from Lake Wiley, I'm Scott Morgan for South Carolina Public Radio.